My name is Jeff Harbach. I'm the CEO of Coffin Fellows and the host of the Coffin Fellows podcast. This season, our podcast is produced in partnership with Mighty Capital and features different Coffin Fellows as co-hosts. In this podcast, we dive deep into the personal narratives of some of the most successful names in the venture capital industry, but we're not here just to explore their highlight reels, however impressive they are. From failures and formative learning experiences to inflection points and aha moments, we discuss the real, authentic journeys that each individual goes through to become the best version of themselves in order to best serve the entrepreneurs they invest in. Covering various themes in venture capital investing, we speak with the world's top leaders in capital formation, all from a place of authenticity and vulnerability. Together, we'll unravel what truly makes a great venture capital investor. Now let's meet today's host and their guest. Hi, I'm Wayne Moore, managing partner at ABG Basecamp Fund, and I'm excited to host this series on Vet to Venture, where we talk with veterans about their unique path from the military to a career in venture and technology. Let's hear from my guest today. Hello, I am your host on this podcast from Vet to VC. Uh, and today I'm joined and really excited uh, by one of my uh, former roommates, colleagues, and good friends, uh, Tyson Clark, who's a general partner uh, at Google Ventures. How are you today, Tyson? Hey, Wayne, how's it going, man? I'm, I'm doing good. Awesome, awesome. Well, as I mentioned, I've known Tyson for a while. We were both uh, actually members of the same ROTC unit many years ago at uh, California at Berkeley, students together at Stanford, uh, and now both working uh, in venture. So really excited to just understand a little bit more about your journey uh, into venture capital uh, from the military. So I guess since we want to highlight kind of the path to venture, I'd love to start there, Tyson. Uh, so maybe tell me a little bit more about sort of your experience. Uh, I know you were, you were a naval officer, so let's start there. And, how, and, and then walk us through that journey on how you uh, ended up at a venture firm. Absolutely. And when you talk about the journey, uh, you know, I think it's important. It, it's, it's interesting that this is Vet to VC because how we actually met was through ROTC at Stanford. That's how we met, if, if you go way back in the day. And, you know, and just to like embellish a bit on the details, you know, we've had a, you know, 20 plus year friendship. Um, we're in each other's weddings, all that kind of good stuff. So uh, that's, that's really where, where it all started for us. And, you know, I, I will say there's something about, you know, the, the folks that you meet in the military, uh, the friends that you make there that just endure and last. Uh, so I'll start there. In terms of the journey, you know, we both went to Stanford together. We graduated in 01, which was the uh, height of the, the tech burst, uh, the bubble bursting back then. That was back when everyone was having their offers rescinded. And we were lucky enough to be going to the military at that point, uh, oddly That's enough. Right. And, uh, and, you know, and, and I went into, I, I think we both, you know, used... Um, the ROTC scholarship to pay for college, uh, for, you know, for different reasons. Uh, but, you know, I went into the, the submarine force because it was a very technical field. You know, U.S. submarines run on nuclear energy. So you go to nuclear power school for a couple of years. And, uh, and that training was really interesting and exciting to me. Uh, and, and, then, and so I served on a nuclear fast attack submarine for about two and a half years. After that, I worked at the Naval Academy doing admissions. And then after that, I went to business school. That's kind of like the high-level journey, but what I'll say is graduating in 01 during the tech bubble, I think we both knew about venture capital. We had heard about it. It sounded really cool. It seemed like this really difficult thing to break into, and certainly not, you know, two kids doing ROTC, uh, you know, we're going to get that shot. So I, I kind of just like wrote myself off and went down that path. Coming out of business school, same thing. Uh, you know, I was in business school with a bunch of people who had done venture capital before or private equity, or they had invested, or they were bankers. And... It just felt like there was no way for me to compete for, you know, a coveted spot at a venture capital fund coming out of an MBA program. And so what I decided to do is what I think most vets do. 
you know, most vets kind of coming out of business school, they either do consulting or banking, or they do some leadership program, like Pepsi or, you know, one of these guys. Um, and, and so I chose, I chose investment banking and uh, that, that was probably one of the better decisions I've made in my life. Um, I went to Morgan Stanley. They have a tech group that's based in Menlo Park on Sand Hill Road. And so you're kind of like right in the midst of all the folks that you want to meet on the VC side. Uh, and I was there for about two and a half years, mostly IPOs and M&A, and mostly on the enterprise side. I went there at a time when, you know, it wasn't cool to like do like, but I went there when, when SaaS was a thing, right? Like back then, SaaS was new. Like nowadays, everything is delivered via the cloud. There's no packaged software but, or on-prem software. But back then, SaaS was a thing. We sold a company called Right Now to Oracle, and then I went over to Oracle after that. And kind of like further along the line, I started doing venture investments on behalf of Oracle, like quietly, um, you know, and, and it, it's more, it, it wasn't like I was outsourcing deals. It was more like we found a company and they uh, might be interesting to Oracle, but they're just too early. So we want to have an investment and we want to make sure we had, you know, some sort of agreement in place that would be uh, advantageous to Oracle. But that's really where I got my first kind of shot at doing VC investing. Went from there to Andreessen, uh, but more on the operating partner side. And people will tell you, you know, it's really hard to go from being an operating partner to an investor. And I agree with that. You know, you, you join a venture capital fund as an operating partner to be an operating partner. And, you know, I was there for about six months before uh, I met the folks at GV. And the folks at GV were looking for someone who came from, you know, the corp dev world, who knew corp dev people, who knew enterprise. Uh, so, so I was lucky that I, you know, it, so much of this is like serendipity, right? Like you meet the right fund at the right time and you have the right skill set uh, to complement the existing partnership. And that's kind of what happened. And so it's been a, been a six year ride since I've been at GV and, uh, you know, focusing mostly on enterprise technology, everything from SaaS to infrastructure and all things in between. And yeah, I, you know, when we talk about the path, I, I just like highlight one more time, you know, so much of this is, I say serendipity because it's different from luck, but it's this notion that, you know, like you, you build your network, you know, you have, uh, you're on people's radars as much as you can be, you know, you impressed in the, the right people along the way. And so when the opportunity comes up, your, your name is on the list, right? And then you, you know, you, you compete, but there's not like, there's really like a hardcore path to break into VC. It's more just, you know, you're on the radar. That's great. And no, I appreciate uh, you kind of walking us through that. Uh, one of the things that I hear when I talk to a lot of vets uh, like yourself is, you know, they have this goal in mind or this vision about maybe where they where they want to end up, but they have to take a number of different steps to kind of get there. And it seems like you certainly work your way, you know, obviously ascending along the way, but taking different steps to get to that ultimate goal to, to being a venture capitalist. Yeah, I, I take the most like conservative de-risk path <laughs> to become a VC. Uh, and, and by the way, like I, I know other other vets who have done, who've gone straight to VC, straight to VC out of business school, with no experience, uh, even in my year, there's a, there's a guy who, who did that, you know. And, I, and looking back, it's like, well, why didn't I try that? Why not give it a shot? You know what? What? Yeah. But but you know, the, the folks who break into VC coming out of like an MBA program uh, have done so much crazy networking and work that you know you just you just got to be ready for that. And uh, at the time, I I wasn't built for that. So you're you're right. I mean, my, my path has been incremental, and you know, and it's it's kind of each step in retrospect seems like a logical next step. But at the time, it's not like I had some like plan, you know. I mean, I was just I was just taking the next gig that that I got that seemed like uh, it made a, a sensible or sensical story. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess you know the takeaway, at least from my experience, is um, 
you know, there's multiple ways to get in. Don't take anyone's, any, don't take any one person's advice. And, you know, if you, if you really want to break into VC right now, you should, you should go that path. It's just, you know, recognize that it's, it's always tough. No, I appreciate that. Um, I, I definitely want to talk a little bit more about your experience now at, at, uh, GV. Uh, but if you could just, uh, indulge me for a moment and go back to your sort of military experience. And as you think about, you know, being on that submarine, being involved in sort of operational missions overseas, uh, I'm sure maybe there's some highly classified stuff that you can't discuss, but I'd really just want to get uh, more to the broader lessons that maybe you took away uh, from that military experience that have served you in your career since then, whether it be banking or now in, in venture capital. Yeah, I think, you know, being an officer on a ship, be it a submarine or a surface warfare ship or whatever, an aircraft carrier, uh, there's some similar, or even being an officer in the Army or, or the Marine Corps, there's some similar aspects of that to what you do as a venture capitalist interacting with a founder. You know, so as an officer, you know, who's 22 years old, 23 years old when we joined our first ships, you know, you're in charge of a, a group of people, uh, and this is sailors who have been in the military longer than you, they know more than you. You know, you're showing up as this college-educated, you know, maybe brat, but, but you, have, you have some seasoned people on your team who have experience, and you're supposed to lead them. And you can show up on day one, acting like you know everything, you know, giving people orders and directions. Or you can sit back, learn, see where you can be helpful, focus on taking care of people, taking care of your troops, making sure they're okay. Or you, know, or, or, or you, can, you can be that person who thinks they're in charge. And I think with founders, it's the same thing. You know, VCs who show up acting like they know more about a space than the founders that they're you know, that they're working with, I think is crazy. Like this person spends all their time in this space where their space is, if it's life insurance or if it's computer chips or if it's cybersecurity, they're going to know more than you. Uh, their, their knowledge base will be more up to date than your knowledge base, no matter what your background was. That, that doesn't mean you can't give advice, but you have to be aware that you're working with founders who know more than you about the space that they're operating in. And your, your goal is really to take care of them, to advise them, to make sure they succeed, make sure they have what they need, uh, and, and, you know, and here and there, here and there, give your advice, but make sure you're giving your advice in a way where, you know, it's not, it's not directive, it's advice, you know, it's, it's meant to sort of like inform their mental model, so they can make a better decision. Uh, and, and so that, that is the, the one part of the way I operate as a VC, which is different from other people. There are other VCs who are very directive. This is what you should do. This is what I did when I was at this company 10 years ago, and this worked, and I think this worked for you now. That's just, that's not how I do it. And it's very much informed by my experience as an officer, a young officer on a submarine, uh, managing people who had more experience than me. No, that's great. And what, you know, it's interesting that there aren't more veterans that go into venture. Uh, why do you think that is? I mean, I, I think, you know, a lot of us have talked about just how hard it is to break into VC and how network driven it is. And the networks just didn't overlap in the past. Right. So I think, you know, even, even like, 10 years ago, there was a specific path to get into VC. You had to go to one of three schools. And even then you had to know people who were already in VC. You know, it, it was very much a lot of nepotism. Like my dad worked at this place and that helped me break in. I, I, I think, and, and I think for vets who are coming out of the military and not going through an MBA program, right? Which is a whole nother thing. It's even tougher, right? Because like you, you might be forward deployed in Afghanistan and you're trying to like, you know, build a network in the VC space so that you can get interviews. And it's just really hard to do. Um, and I, I think we both met, you know, vets who were transitioning from the military and they're trying to do that. You know, and it's, it's just, it's just tough for them to get away from whatever 
job they have in the military to come to Silicon Valley or wherever and, and meet the right folks that would eventually land an opportunity to have an interview. I think, I think that's a lot of, about what it's about. And then I think the other thing is, maybe two more things. Another thing is it's tough for military people to communicate their skill set. You know, so, so everyone gets that we've led people. Everyone gets that, you know, we probably have discipline and bearing and command presence and, you know, we can um, handle tough situations well. Uh, so those are the soft skills, but the harder skills, it's tougher for people to sort of like understand what technical skills you have. It's harder for them to get confident that you can quickly learn the financial side of the business or the legal side of the business. And I think that's why a lot of us go, you know, do sort of like graduate degree programs like MBAs. Um, but, but it can be tougher for someone who's just coming right out of the military to, to convince, uh, you know, a venture capital fund that they have the right skills to succeed. Uh, no, that's great. Uh, and, and so now kind of moving, you know, moving forward. So you're, you're now a venture capitalist uh, at GV. What, what led you or what attracted you to uh, the model at GV versus other firms that you might have been considering? I think the biggest thing is the culture. And, and you know, uh, we, we had talked before this about, like, let's make this provocative. Let's make this, like, interesting. And, and so to talk about the culture just doesn't seem that interesting. But maybe to, f like, frame it differently, uh, in order to make VC work, you got to be in the business for a long time, right? So, right. you know, you, you are investing out of a fund. You get vested in the fund, whatever care you have over time. And it takes a long time to get exits, right? So it takes a long time to, one, know if you're any good at this. and two if you are good enough to like have longevity, um, actually get paid, like meaningfully paid in this business. So I bring, I bring up that dynamic because wherever you're at, you want to make money there. You got to be there for a while. Okay. So how do you stay somewhere for a while? Like it's all about the people that you're working with. Like, do you enjoy coming to work? Are you at a place where there's like political landmines everywhere? You say the wrong thing in a meeting and you know, you're on the outs all of a sudden I've seen that. I think, I think what, what people often miss is that, a major portion of all the VCs who are doing this job every year are transitioned out or they leave for whatever reason, you know, and, and there's a bunch of people who want that spot <laughs> with, with the spot that you have right now. There's someone, there's five people out there who want, want the spot that you have. And so, you know, it's really about just like going somewhere where you feel like the culture matter, the, the, the culture fits with you, the people fit with you uh, and, and you can be there for a while and enjoy your, your job and your life. I think that's probably the biggest thing about GV that I love. I think the other thing is we're obviously different from most VCs in that we have one LP. I mean, like we're, we're different from both corporate venture capital and also most VCs. Mm -hmm. We're different from corporate venture capital in that, you know, we, we are not tied to Google, right? We're, we are really a use of capital for Alphabet. Alphabet has a lot of money. They invest in a lot of different areas. We are how Alphabet accesses venture capital as an asset class. That's the way we think about it. You know, and we, and we think we have advantages being tied to Google in certain ways. It helps us source deals. Uh, it helps us do, do due diligence. Um, and it just, and it also gives Google an, uh, sort of a, an eye into what's next, what's coming you know, on, on the like longer horizon. So that's a huge advantage on the corporate capital, uh, on the corporate venture side. Uh, compared to traditional venture, we have one LP, that's Alphabet. And our LP is a lot more patient than your typical endowment or, uh, you know, or whatever, or um, pension fund. Uh, so, you know, because we have one LP and because they're patient, we can invest in stuff that's riskier. Uh, we can think of, think differently about the, what, what the return profile needs to be. And that gives us a lot more flexibility, a lot more leverage. Uh, like we're not spending as much time raising capital from LPs as we are just putting money to work and serving our portfolio companies. And that that is that is an awesome part of, of being at GV. Awesome. 
And as you're going out and competing to win deals, uh, are there any challenges with, with that model? I mean, there, there are uh, on a number of levels, but I, I, I think the one I'd point to is, you know, it's, it's always difficult to convince uh, founders that we are sort of separate from, G, uh, from Google. So we'll, we'll encounter some founders who are like, oh yeah, we, we just want to like do a deal with you because we want to get closer to Google. And we're like, yeah, you know, like you'll get closer to Google, but that's not really what we do. You know, we're not here to deliver Google to you as a, you know, as like a, a benefit. We're really here uh, to deliver GV to you as a benefit. Uh, and it can be hard to convince someone of that. It's also uh, hard to convince a founder who's suspicious of Google. Oh my God, Google wants to, you know, whatever, get all my data, <laughs> like all these like sort of conspiracy theories. Uh, or, you know, or, um, you know, I, I want to make sure that Google doesn't have any insight to what I'm doing because it might be competitive with a small part of what Google is doing. And it can be hard to convince those founders that we're, you know, we're sort of like siloed enough away from Google that that their data won't make it back to Google or their information won't make it back to Google. But what I'll say is like we we invest in areas that are directly competitive with what Google's doing. Uber's a great example because Uber was competitive with Waymo uh, when we made the investment. But most of our investments are irrelevant to Google. Like, and, and honestly, like Google is huge. Like they just don't care about some startup who may or may not compete directly with them. Uh, if anything, like they want to partner with the up and comers to to sort of like know, you know, who, who's uh, who's next, who's, who might have the next big thing, the next big snowflake out there. So that's that's a challenge uh, of being a GV in the marketplace. And maybe one last thing is, you know, we we uh, we're competing against, you know, what what I would like to consider top tier venture capital funds. And you know, and so we just have to always think about how our brand is positioned in the marketplace. You know, if we're up against a you know a top ten VC fund on Sand Hill Road. And, you know, a founder's thinking like, okay, well, how does GV position against, you know, venture fund X? You know, we want to make sure that that our brand recognition is sort of like, you know, net the NPS score with the entrepreneur uh, community is high enough. Yeah. And, and speaking of that, so there's obviously the, the GV brand uh, and you talked about, you know, kind of your experiences that you bring from the military and how you're working with founders. But uh, more specific to you, I guess, how, how do you ingratiate yourself with founders? How do you let them know that you'll be a value-added member of their cap table and, and potentially a uh, value-added member of their board? That's a great question. And, and, and you know, that's that's like what we're all trying to figure out, I think, right? And so the, everyone talks about authenticity. And so what I've, what I've realized in my path is like, what's authentic to me is being humble, humble, like a humble servant, <laughs> you know? And that's right. that comes directly from being an officer on the ship. That's what you... If you're going to be successful as an officer, you need to be a humble servant for your troops. You know, there, there's a model of venture capital where, like, you're a venture capitalist and you know everything and you're on stages and you're pontificating and you're, you know, you're in chat rooms and you're telling everyone how the world works. And that, that's, that, that works for a lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs. That's not, that's not my mode. Like, I'm absolutely divorced from that model. You know, I, I know enough to be dangerous is what I'll tell a founder. I'll give advice, but I'll couch that as this is just advice. You should ask 10 other people. But more importantly, I will be of service to you by finding someone who's been in your exact position, whatever challenge you're going through right now, if it's hiring a sales leader, or you know, should I move towards marketing, whatever your problem is, I will find that entrepreneur or that founder or that seasoned executive who has been in your spot, and I'll let you connect with them uh, to get their perspective as well as my perspective. And, and, and that's, that's been my model. You know, so, so hopefully there's no footage of me on some stage, like pretending to know all the answers to, uh, you know, to the world, where the world is going, because I, I don't. You know, I, I, I look at VC as this thing that we tackle with founders together and we go through it and there might be pivots and we don't know the future, but we're just reacting to data and reacting to how the world is changing. And, um, 
and, 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 and you know, and, and we're flexible enough to constantly be willing to challenge, uh, you know, whatever preconceived notions we had uh, in the past. Yeah, that's great. Going back to the, to the actual role, uh, you, you've been there at, at GE now, I think six or seven years. Uh, so you have some investments that are starting to mature a bit. You know, to the extent that you can, I'd love for maybe to highlight a deal or two that you've been really excited about that you've seen sort of grow and progress and then maybe talk a little bit about on the company, but then also what really attracted you initially to the investment and what keeps you excited about it. So I'll, I'll highlight two, and, and there's probably more than two, maybe three. I'll highlight three. And, and this is the part of, a, you know, of like a, a podcast where you just like, you tune out because you're, I'm going to go into sell mode, right? I'm going to sell the companies that I've invested in. Um, but but, but I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what the ones that, uh, you know, that, that are interesting, and there, there are many, but the three that pop up, one is Ethos. Uh, Ethos is a life insurance company. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a highly competitive space for sure, and there's obviously incumbents. They focused on creating an amazing consumer experience and have grown the business to, to you know to billion dollar plus valuation um, in three years. Uh, pretty amazing run. What attracted me to that company was two brilliant founders. They were both coming out of uh, Stanford Business School. Uh, this is like 2016 ish. They had really deep both technical experience between the two founders, technical experience, but also experience within insurance. And they had both been affected by the way insurance was sold to them when they were young. You know, they were sold these whole life plans that, you know, frankly, we could argue if, if you know, it's even ethical to sell a life, a whole life plan to someone who's really young. And, and, and they struggled to like get out of these plans. Like, you know, it clearly wasn't financially advantageous to them. And they wanted to do it better. They wanted to figure out a better way to serve uh, consumers with life insurance. And also to serve a broader market, which is what I'm really proud of. Uh, they they serve higher risk populations. They serve older populations, and they give them they give them an option. And I think that's amazing. And and I've, I've just been incredibly impressed by what they've done. The next one I'll highlight is Light Matter. Light Matter is one of the riskier bets that I've made, and I probably could not have made that bet if I were anywhere but GV. They are doing silicon photonics to build an optical computer. So. What does that mean? So silicon photonics is, you know, this notion of using light. Um, it's often used for optical interconnect within a data center. Uh, so, you know, so you have two servers and you're going to use an optical fiber link to basically communicate between the two. And there's a lot of stuff that, you know, you got to build in order to do that. That's what silicon photonics is typically used for. What they're, u- what they're doing is they're building a chip that uses light to do matrix math, essentially. Um, you know, light waves add, are additive and you can use light waves to do multiplication and the light wave inputs uh, represent like the calculation and the output represents the answer. The light form that comes out is the answer. So you're, you're doing calculations at light speed. When we invested, it was a, it felt like a science fair project <laughs> uh, and it was silicon photonics. Like they had to figure out a whole bunch of stuff. Like, you know, how do they find a foundry? Like who can actually make uh, the, the chips that they wanted to build with these optical components that were very sort of like bespoke. And, and so there, it was very risky and the, the technological roadmap would be long. And if it weren't for, you know, we worked for uh, a, a company with an LP that's very patient, we wouldn't have been able to do it. And I think now they've sort of turned the corner. They've proven they can build a chip. They've proven that it's scalable. Uh, and, and it's another one that I'm excited about. And then at, at the last one I'll highlight is Vercel. Uh, you know, we, we have uh, a thesis uh, around, you know, just like sort of the you know, divorcing the front end from the back end in terms of developing products. And so front-end developers, the ones who actually build the consumer-facing side of, a, of an application, we think are, more important is probably the wrong way to say it, but um, 
But but front end developers are often dependent on their back end developers to actually implement a product. And we think you can abstract away the back end. Uh, you can provide services that basically enable what a back end developer would provide. And that frees the front end developer to just you know do do what they do without needing to worry about the back end. And so Vercel is a company that sort of like enables this. Uh, they uh, sort of have promoted an open source uh, software program called uh, Next.js, and we think that's emerging as the the real winner here. And then and then Vercel has just seen incredible growth in user adoption as well. So another one that we're really really excited about. No, that's great, uh, and and thanks for sharing those. I definitely um, some time ago was one of those people that that bought a, a whole life uh, insurance plan when I was much younger. Same. So uh, to here, understand the, the the value add for for ethos. Um, so. Here. Uh, you've you've obviously uh, you know progressed in your time uh, at GV. I'm really interested uh, now that you're a general partner. What do you think kind of set you apart or, or helped you uh, end up becoming a, a general partner of the firm and, and, and kind of demonstrating and proving yourself to the to the team there? Yeah, yeah, great, great question. I mean, you know, I, I think um, you know just to be like candid about it, right? Like, you know, you and I were, were unicorns in venture capital, right? Uh, so veterans won. African-American too. I, I think I talked about the humble approach to VC before, like the humble servant approach. Uh, and I think that's, that's differentiated. Also like when I, you know, that's kind of like externally, but internally at GV, I think people, you know, will say like, I was just a dude who wanted to work really hard. I wanted to be helpful wherever I could. Um, you know, and I wanted to like, you know, you, you show, you show up to your fund and you want to demonstrate the value that you provide. And so I went out of my way to, offer my network to people. Oh, this company is about to be acquired by this potential person. I know the corp dev guy or the guy who runs corp dev at this acquirer. I'm happy to make an intro or, you know, or whatever, whatever it was, right? Like, or I had done a, this deal at Oracle and it was in the marketing automation space. I, you should talk to this guy. He knows the space really well. He'll help you do diligence for this company you're trying to invest in. So, so really early on, just like being very generous with like my networks, being generous with my time, you know, and, and, and sort of like just showing the partnership, like, look, this is this is how I fit in. This is where I add value. This is why you want me here long term. Uh, you know, it's not just about like sourcing a deal. I mean, I can do that, too. But it's also about, you know, I can help you in your day to day job. I can take some stuff off your plate. I can run with things. I think early on, that's that's really what kind of got me uh, enough time to then compete to become a GP. I think ultimately, um, you know, at, at GV, what we're looking for for general partners are people who can source deals who've been through a couple of different economic cycles, who have exited a few companies, also who have seen what companies look like when they don't work out, right? Like that experience mm -hmm. is also valuable too. And, and so, you know, so just people who have kind of been through that, um, that set of experiences that really give you uh, experience and background. And what I'll say is the most important thing is, and, and we're always sort of like trying to sample this in the marketplace, but like, what is this person's reputation externally? So our founders raving about Tyson, our founders saying, yeah, Tyson is, he's great, but he's just really a check. You know, Tyson's quiet in the boardroom or Tyson is quiet in the boardroom, but he hustles behind the scenes to make shit stuff happen. <laughs> Pardon me there. Um, so, 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 you know, I, we're, we're always trying to like sample the marketplace and see, you know, kind of like what our reputation is both as a firm and as individual investors. And that's really ultimately what, what gets you promoted to G, uh, general partner at GP. That's great. Well, Tyson, I, I really appreciate your time. I have a, a couple more quick sort of lightning round questions, if you will. This has been really informative. Uh, just hearing your story, 
kind of what brought you to venture and also what continues to differentiate you at the firm and in the marketplace. So if I had, you know, have a, another minute or so, I'd like to kind of go through a couple quick questions. Absolutely. Cool? Yeah, yeah. Awesome. So the first question is simply, what makes a great VC investor? Uh, so I'll answer that two ways. So, so one way is, you know, you're a great VC investor when founders are raving about you. So like your reputation with founders is phenomenal and you meet a new founder and it's a competitive deal and you can point to five other founders who will rave about you. That's when you know you're a good VC. Like what makes a good VC is your ability to serve founders, right? <laughs> like your, your ability to really deliver value to founders in a way where they want to sing your praise. So I think that is your network. It's not just like showing up and giving advice. Like I, I know that is a thing that VCs do, but I think it's more about extending your network to help help founders, like finding people who can advise and or be hired in the company. Like that is actually really the most important thing you can do. Like you showing up with some idea about a product. Okay, fine. You showing up with an amazing uh, product manager candidate who can actually go work at the company and, and, and solve like a broader problem is actually way more impactful. So, you know, I, I think I think a lot of it is really, it's, it's, it's sort of like what you do after the investment and the main thing you can do is extend your network either through hiring or advisory work to, to founders. What advice do you have for our audience of VC investors and in innovators? I, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to give advice. <laughs> I, <laughs> you don't like so, to give advice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, look, I, I mean, like when I started in VC six years ago, everyone was like, well, you got to build your brand. How do you build your brand? Like you need to get on a bunch of stages and, you know, do a bunch of content work. And okay. So what I'll say is be authentic, figure out, what is authentic to you. If, if, if getting on a bunch of stages is not your thing, don't do that. If being the humble servant model of VC is not you, don't do that. The, the good thing is like entrepreneurs are different. Some entrepreneurs want that, that high profile VC. Others just want someone that they can relate to and talk to. And it's great when, uh, you know, a VC and an entrepreneur who are, who are like-minded pair up together and work for seven years to build a big business. Like that's actually beautiful. And it sucks when you have, you know, a VC of one ilk and a founder of another ilk, and you know, there's just a disconnect in terms of like life values. So, you know, this is this is not provocative, but it's it's like truly like look at yourself, be authentic, understand like how you operate, understand like the person you want to be and how you want to serve founders, and then do that. And 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 ignore all the advice about how to go out there and like build your own personal brand and all that stuff. Like it's really about um, doing something that's authentic to to the way you operate and your skill set. And the final question is. How do you stay sharp? What book, podcast, or blogs inspire you? So I don't do a whole lot of podcasts, but I will. I will give one recommendation. There's a book called Deep Work. I, sh I should have shown up knowing the uh, the author's name, but Deep Work is the name of the book. It's really easy to find, uh, and it it actually changed the way I think about how I work. So so before my notion was I'm going to work ten times harder than whoever else is doing my job, and that was sustainable for about like a month at a time, right? Uh, this book is more about like find the thing that you want to focus on and focus on it relentlessly. But also, you know, sort of people who do thoughtful work. So this is not just replying to email. This is like actually should I do an investment or what I think about the space. Like thoughtful work requires work in like long periods of time where it's intense, like intense work periods. Uh, other people call it flow states, you know, like a coder who puts on his headphones and just like dives in and starts coding. And it's like, don't interrupt me. And four hours later, they emerge and like, you know, whatever, they need to shave, and they have a beard. <laughs> um, so like th 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 this, this model of like, hey, work really, really, really hard. But most importantly, after you work really, really, really hard, rest. So it's like work hard and rest. 
And, uh, and, and, and the one, the two things I took away from that book were like, yeah, like I'm not crazy. That's actually how I work when I, when I do good work. Uh, I just like lock myself in a room and I just like dive in and then I'll take a break. But the more important part is the rest part. And the, the book calls it the courage to rest. And they talk about like some of the best Olympic athletes, uh, you know, what they do is they work really, really hard, but right before the competition, they rest and they have the courage to rest because they trust how hard they worked up until that point. And how you show up on game day is a function of how rested you are oftentimes, not really how much training you put in before all that, because everyone's going to do that. Like every Olympian, Olympian or Olympic candidate will do that. Who will rest right before that competition is a thing that often uh, separates folks. And so I, I try to be rested when it's time to show up for a competition. And I, I, I try to have the courage to rest uh, and believe that I've done the hard work uh, before that. No, that's great. And that's Deep Work by Cal Newport. So, thank you. Uh, yeah. Well done. <laughs> yeah, so, well done. So, 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 so great. So great. Well, Tyson, I can't thank you enough for, for joining me today. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you on. I think you definitely shared some, some valuable insights into not only your story, but how others can think about breaking into careers in venture and technology and leveraging, you know, their, their past experiences to do so. Uh, so it's been an honor to have you. So this is again, uh, Tyson Clark, former Naval officer, Submariner, uh, partner at GV, and also my good friend. Thanks a lot, brother. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. All right. All right. Take care. That's a wrap. Tune in next week for another candid conversation on what makes a great VC investor with your host, the Kaufman Fellows. <laughs>